Psalm 4. Psalm 4 for tonight's sermon. When I was in New Zealand, they told us that the church, the elders told me, they said, if you are here and only your family is here, you will preach a sermon to your family. I remember that every now and then when I come up here and we have a low crowd. Um, But we will have our sermon tonight. The title of it is Evening Prayer. And let me read Psalm 4 to you. Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You would relieve me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O sons of men, how long will will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are saying, who will show us any good? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. The word of the Lord. Let me let me pray. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, you tell us through the prophet Jeremiah, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I've been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. And so, Father, tonight, with these words on our hearts and minds, we pray that we would take these words that are in uh, these, this page before us, and we might eat them and live upon them. We ask for your help to do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 4, what do you do at the end of the day when someone or some group of ones have come against you, have misrepresented you, have misquoted you, mischaracterized you, slandered you, done everything in their power to do you harm with their mouths or worse? What happens when all these things that come upon us, words that come to us, uh, how will we go to sleep after we've heard these things? Uh, We've grown up, and we've talked about this in our men's group because we're talking about words lately, of late, uh, James chapter 3. We said a few weeks ago, we said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. And we say that. We grow up saying that. And it's true, words cannot break my physical bones, and words can't bruise me. And, you know, like the other day I'm talking, when she was talking about the dog, this German shepherd grabbed the 15-pound dog and put three holes in this dog's body. And he was pretty bruised up. Words can't bruise me physically, but words can wreak havoc on my soul. So how in the world am I going to sleep after hearing slanderous words? The answer is in Psalm 4. In Psalm 3 and in Psalm 4, we have what most commentators call companion psalms or a unit of two psalms together. Psalm 3 says this in verse 5, I lie down and sleep and I wake again. 
Psalm 4 says this, I will lie down and sleep in peace. One is waking up. One is going to sleep. And David is coming to the end of a very long day. We could say that he woke up and he prayed and then he had to go through a very, very long day, a very hard day. His son has started a civil war against him. He's declared himself to be king and David is leaving Jerusalem as the rebels enter into the city. So he's running for for his life. He's been slandered by his own son among all those he's wooed underneath his power. And now he comes to the end of the day. What's he going to do? Every one of us, when we are going through a really hard time, many times we can keep our mouths shut at the moment. Many times we can put our hands behind our back. We'll act exactly the way we're supposed to act at the moment. And then when everything calms down at the end of the day, what's, the question is, what are we going to do with our, in our second thoughts? What are we going to do when everything is quiet? What did David do? Well, David, this is interesting because last week we said that troubles triggered David to pray. Well, we could say the same thing in Psalm 4. David's distress causes him to wrestle in this passage with different groups of people. He wrestles with people who slandered him. He wrestles with hotheads who are in his own camp. And he wrestles with men who are despondent in his own camp. And so as we think about the new year, here we are, January the 14th, remember to wrestle with the Lord in prayer. And maybe we ought to even say wrestle with the Lord as you read through the Psalms. Read through the Psalms when you've been slandered. Read through the Psalms. Wrestle with the Lord. Well, first point. The first point is this. When you're in distress, go to the Lord. Look at verse 1. Answer me when I call. This is urgent prayer. It's the end of the day. Now, in the morning, it was very urgent too, wasn't it? In the morning, it was like, we have to get out of Dodge. We have to get out of Jerusalem or we're going to die. And so they're heading out. Their heads are hanging low. And I I just threw this one in. I thought y'all might like this. Do you remember who Shimei is? (laughs) Shimei is standing there. He is loyal to King Saul. And as David and all his men are leaving Jerusalem, he's cursing David. He's calling him a scoundrel, pelting him with dirt and rocks as he leaves. That couldn't have been worse, man. I mean, that's kind of bad. And now it's time to... Lay down, if you will. It's time to pray. And it gets, it's, it's, there's an urgency about David at the end of the day. He begins to pray. It's a specific prayer. He's talking about, he says, my distress. Now, that word distress is interesting because it means narrow space or narrow place. It means tight place. In fact, if you look up Job 41.7, it refers to the scales on the back of a crocodile. Is there any space between one scale and the next? <laughs> These are tight things. Scales on a fish are very tight places. And David's in a tight, distressing place. And so he's pleading with God to make room for him. Open up the, the space between one scale and the next. So it's urgent prayer, it's specific prayer, and it's a prayer rem- remembering past answers. We saw this last week too. Look at verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. You have opened up a space for me in the past. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer now. So he's reflecting on the fact that God has done it for him in the past. And he's asking God for him to do it again in the future. 
And so now, the fourth little piece of this, it's a prayer based on present standing before God. Notice what he says, answer me when I call, O God, of my what? My righteousness. My righteousness. God of my righteousness. This speaks of vindication. I've been charged by an accuser in an unjust manner. I've been slandered. And you alone can vindicate me against my adversaries. And you can establish that I am in the right. One of the men came to me today and was talking about how you know, Absalom had some things he could have said to his father. Absolutely. But what Absalom has done is he has rebelled against God's king. He's not right here. David is right. David has been anointed to be the king of Israel. And in 2 Samuel 7, the Lord told David that he would build for him a house. And upon his throne, one of his descendants would sit forever. So here's the question. How can a sinner like David enjoy such a privilege to pray like this? To be so free and talk to God in such a way as he has been. Think about how sinful David has been. We all know what David did. We all know about the lust on the top of the roof. We all know that he committed adultery and he tried to cover it up and then he committed murder and he didn't confess his sins for months. We know all of that. So how is he praying with such freedom? He can pray with freedom based on the present standing he has before God. In Psalm 32, David knew his forget he's forgiven when he confessed his sins, his guilt was forgiven. He was forgiven immediately. Verse 5. Verses 32, chapter 32, 1 and 2 says this. How blessed, David says, is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. David knows that his sin has not been imputed to him. David knows his sins have been imputed to Jesus ultimately. And that Jesus' righteousness has been imputed to him. And so now David, because he has right standing with God, he can come to God and he can pour it out and be totally fine. I think sometimes we need to remember that because sometimes we get all hung up with the fact that we look at what we did yesterday, we look at what we did the day before, and we start thinking, oh, you know, okay, I, I, I need to earn God to do a little earning here so that God will, will listen to me. No. No. You need to trust that you have faith. Your faith has, by faith, you've had Christ's righteousness imputed to you. And you can cry out to God just like this. When you and I are in distress and we're between the scales, if you will, between two scales and of a fish or a crocodile, we need to urgently pray, specifically these prayers, and we need to understand that we can do it based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Man, you need to remember that. I used to listen. I remember this one guy. He said, the Sunday night crowd needs to remember that, right? Nothing is more important than this standing. Apart from Jesus, we have no standing. Apart from Jesus Christ, His blood covering our sins, we are exposed before a holy God, and holy God sees our sins, and He is repulsed at our sins. But covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and having Christ's righteousness imputed to us, we can come boldly to the Lord and pray. And so what do we do? Well, let me just say this. We come and we repent of our transgressions. We repent of our sins. We repent of our iniquities. We ask Jesus Christ to straighten our lives out. And we stand upon Jesus and pray.
And if we will not come to God on His terms, yes, we can pray. But it's not a good idea to come to God on our own terms. It's a good idea to come to God on His terms. And His terms say this, we need a mediator. You can go back to the very beginning of the Bible and you can show that there's always the need of a mediator between myself and God. Some bloody sacrifice always pointing to the final sacrifice who is Jesus. All of us need a mediator to talk to holy God. If we do not come to God through Christ, you and I would be rejecting the justification of our prayers. Our prayers are only justified before God through Jesus Christ. Well, that brings us finally to it is a prayer for the right things. It's urgent. It's specific. It's remembering past uh, answers. And it's based on this right standing before God. And it's for right things. When we come and pray... We're not seeking to persuade God to do something He does not want to do. We're praying to God for the things He wants done. The things that He will call agreeable to His own will. David is praying in particular in Psalm 4 for the kingdom of God. And that's exactly what Jesus tells us to pray for. We just prayed the Lord's Prayer a few minutes ago. And in the Lord's Prayer, we're praying that the Father's name would be honored by us and all men. That comes out of the Shorter Catechism. We're praying that for His kingdom to come, for His glory, uh, the gospel to penetrate our hearts and other people's hearts. And for us to be brought into the kingdom and kept in the kingdom. And then we pray for the Father's will to be done. And God promises to answer these prayers. God promises to lift us up out of our miseries when we pray to Him and humble ourselves. He says in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, if we humble ourselves under His mighty hand, that He will lift us up in due time. Well, first, when you're in distress, go to God in prayer. And second, we are to wrestle with the Lord. When you're in distress, go to the Lord and wrestle with the Lord. Now, I think this is so fascinating. David addresses various groups in this psalm. He's addressing the slanderers. He's addressing the hotheads. And he's addressing those who are despondent or we could say discouraged. But have you noticed that he's praying? Have you noticed that there's no slanderers there? There's no hotheads in the midst. There's no, there's no despond. He's by himself. He's praying. He's writing this prayer out. So what's going on here? He's giving counsel to people who aren't present. What's going on here? Isn't that interesting? Well, you see, as he gives counsel to the slanderers and counsel to the hotheads and to the despondent, he's counseling himself. He's wrestling with the Holy Spirit. He's telling himself the truth. He's correcting his thinking as he sits on his bed at night. He's dealing with his own feelings before he goes to sleep in the presence of the Lord. That's a really great thought. Wrestle with the Lord about the slanderers. Look at verse 2. O sons of men, how long will you honor? Will, you, will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? The slanderers are those who seek to bring dishonor to David's reputation, to his honor, to his glory. It's speaking against him, speaking lies against him. I want you to notice the appeal there. He says, how long will my honor become a reproach? 
In other words, stop slandering me, get the truth about me, and not the lies. Get the truth about me and do not believe the lies. And here's the second part of the appeal. Oh, sons of men, how long? That's a word of repentance. Stop slandering me, get the truth about me, and repent, oh, sons of men. He's talking to Absalom. He's talking to Absalom's men, the the great men of the rebellion. You guys need to repent of your rebellion. This is so interesting. This is how uh, Dale Davis writes it. He says, I will come back to my rightful place of ruling over you on the throne, and you will come back to Jerusalem, and you will be my loyal subjects. We can both win. It doesn't have to be this way. Psalm 3, if you'll remember, Psalm 3, David prays for deliverance. And remember, if David wins a battle, it's going to be a nasty thing. It's going to be a thing where Absalom's jaw is knocked out of gear here and his teeth will be knocked out as well. It's going to be a messy thing. But it doesn't have to be this way, David says. If you'll repent, I will forgive you. So you come back, you repent, and I will forgive you, and all of these things can be worked out. I think this is really important. We know that our enemies will be judged severely if they continue in their rebellion. We know that it's right for them to be judged by God if they will not repent of their sins. And so we're pleading for things to be made right. And this is what we do every single day. Let's get really simple. With our children every day, we say, son and daughter, stop that rebellion. And get underneath your dad and your mom's ordained authority. We say from the pulpit, the Lord is speaking from the pulpit. And uh, the Lord uses a minister. And as the word of God is going out, he says, stop doing that. Start doing this. Come to Christ. Do this and do that. Turn from your sin. Place yourself under the authority of God's word. Place yourself under the authority of God's ordained officers. We can both win. I don't know about you. This is one of my probably favorite movies. Searching before Bobby Fisher. I think you can I think you can ask the blessing over searching for Bobby Fisher. Josh Waitzkin is a seven year old chess phenom. If you don't don't know this, I'm I'm fixing this is a spoiler alert. At the end of the movie, Josh, he's seven years old, and he is in a room with one boy, and they're battling it out for the championship, the chess championship in the United States. And these two boys are in a room by themselves, and all the parents have been put into another room where they have to watch it on closed-circuit TV. And these two boys are sitting there in front of each other. And his opponent scowls. And his opponent won't shake his hand and his opponent treats him like he doesn't deserve to be in the same room with him. And as the match continues, Josh's opponent, he makes a move and the teacher who's in there with with all the parents, he says, Josh has just won the match. Twelve moves, he's won the match if he sees it. And so there's the, you know, the, the way they do the movies. Josh is sitting there like a little boy. He's just seven. He's just a little boy. He's watching. He's looking at the, he's looking at the pieces on the chessboard, and he's looking at the pieces. And his opponent says, move. And he just sits there looking at the pieces. And then his eyes rotate and move over to the left. And the teacher tells everybody in the room, he knows he's won it. Josh stands up. And he puts his hand out. And all the parents are going, what is he doing? And the teacher says he's offering him a draw. 
He says to him in the room, he says, we can both win. We can both walk out today. We can both be co-champions. We don't have to be you scowling at me, but we can be friends. (laughs) We can be friends. That was part of what the show's about. Not just crushing people. That's what a lot of men do in in chess. They just want to crush the people. And Josh didn't want that. And so he offers him his hand and he says, what are you doing? Sit down and move. He says, you've already lost and you don't know it. We can walk out, friends. He says, move. So Josh moves and in 12 moves, he won. But it didn't have to be that way. See, that's the kind of attitude we need to have. Would you please repent? I will forgive. You repent. I will forgive. We don't have to be at odds with each other. I think that's a wonderful thought, wonderful attitude that we need to have. Second, I want you to notice this, and I think you should bury this in your heart. Verse 3 says, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. I want you to take note of two words. First, godly man, and then set apart. The word godly man can be translated the covenant one. And the word covenant one or godly man, it means that God has chosen David to be his closest friend. God has chosen David to fellowship with him, to be his king and to walk with him and to love him. Yes, to correct him when he needs to be corrected. And David accepts it and David returns this. It's reciprocal. David loves God back. God loves David. David returns the favor. There's this intimate fellowship going on between the two. That's what godly means. But then there's another thing here. Not only is David conscious of the special love toward him, but he's also conscious that he's set apart. And the word set apart is a powerful word. If you go back and you look at Exodus, you remember how God sets apart Israel from Egypt. Three different times when the flies, the plague of flies comes, Israel's set apart from Egypt. When the, all the animals are dying, Israel was set apart from Egypt. When, this, when the angel of the Lord came to destroy all the firstborn, Israel was set apart from Egypt by the blood of the Lamb. So David knows not only love, but he knows protection. David is telling himself these things. David is telling you the same thing. He's telling you what you are to think. And when you're slandered, you're to desire your enemies to repent and you're to be ready to forgive. And you and I are to reflect on what God says about us. Now, we're not the covenant king. But what does Peter tell us? God tells us we're his elect people. God tells us we're his chosen people, his set apart ones. And when he sees us, he says, that's mine. This is what we need to tell ourselves. What God says about you is more important than what any slanderer can say about you. And let me go one step further, and I will try not to go too long here, but let me say this. What God says about you is more important than what you say about you. Now we need to say that again. How many times do we, like I said earlier, oh, well, you know, I, I, I got to earn God's forgiveness. That's what we do to ourselves. And then, we, then we, we say things about ourselves we shouldn't be saying, well, look at me. Look how I'm a loser. We say these things to ourselves. What's God say? He says, you're, a, you're my elect people. You're set apart. I love you. 
John Adams was the second president of the United States, and his vice president as the second president of the United States would be the third president, Thomas Jefferson. Now, we all know uh, crazy stories about Thomas Jefferson, don't we? But one day, Thomas Jefferson entered into a Baltimore hotel to get a room, and the proprietor saw this man walk in, and he had a hat on. He was muddy. He was dirty. He was nasty. And the proprietor gave him the one once-over look, and he says, I don't have a room for you, sir. And so he says, well, uh, you know, I need a place to stay for the night. Would you let me stay? And he says, don't have a place for you, sir. And so he walks out, gets on his horse, and goes and finds another hotel. A friend walked into the in the door a little bit later and said, "Did you know that the vice president of the United States just left this your hotel?" <laughs> the proprietor was filled with remorse. You see, he thought he was dealing with a dirty farmer, but just because he thought he was a dirty farmer didn't mean that he was a dirty farmer. He was the vice president of the United States. And the slanderers can say whatever they want to. They can say that you're the scum of the earth. I had a lady that used to say to me in the gym, you are the guy who needs the Jesus crutch. <laughs> I don't know if y'all ever, but I used to hear that one a lot. You, you, you're the guy who needs the Jesus crutch. But in reality, you and I, we are the ones in covenant with God. We're the ones who are set apart. We're loved and protected. Well, second, as we think about this, wrestle with the Lord about the hotheads. Look at verse 4. Wrestle with the Lord about the hotheads. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Now this probably refers to David speaking to men in his own, in his camp who are upset about having to leave Jerusalem. He's giving them counsel. Remember, he's going to counsel them and as he counsels them, he's counseling himself. And these men are probably up to thinking something rash. It's wrong. What's happened to David is wrong. And it's totally right for them to be righteously angry about what has happened to their king. But David is counseling them not to be rash. And as he counsels them not to be rash, he's counseling himself not to be rash. To give themselves up to doing something they would uh, prefer not to have done later on. And David knows he's, there's been a couple of times we've studied in, in week, uh, on Sunday nights where David did some things that were rash. He thought about killing Saul one time. He thought he was on his way to kill Nabal one time, and he was prevented from it. If you remember James and John, when a Samaritan village, they refused to receive Jesus, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to devour them? <laughs> That's a little rash, don't you think? We're so quick to be uh, rash at times. We're so quick to be angry. And David says in verse 4, Tremble, tremble in your anger and do not sin. We are not saying there's not something called righteous indignation. We're not saying that. There is. But he says, Meditate in your heart on your bed and be still. And one of the ways that we can prevent ourselves from doing anything rash is to sit in the bed at night and put our hands over our mouth. David is acknowledging righteous anger, but we also, as we acknowledge that it's totally all right to be irate about some things. We need to be careful not to cross the line. How many times have you known that you were right, <laughs> that your anger was right, and then you said, said what you was totally right with the wrong attitude? 
with the wrong, in the wrong tone of voice. You knew you were wrong. You knew you had to suck. You wish you could suck the words back in after you said them. And then you were the one who was going and asked for forgiveness. We have to be careful about our righteous indignation. Finally, wrestle with the Lord about the despondent. Notice that statement there in verse 6. Who will show us any good, many were saying. Who will show us any good? That is a defeated sigh. Who will show us any good? When it rains, it pours. <laughs> this bad thing happened, and the next bad thing happened, and another bad thing happened. Anytime we're sick or anytime a loved one dies or someone goes from bad to worse, we say that. Will anything good come of any, you know, these things? Sometimes we pray for people in the congregation. We've all done this before. We've all gone, man, I prayed and I prayed and they just kept getting worse. Will God reverse any of this? You know what David says to these guys? This is so spectacular. This is how he counsels these despondent, discouraged men. Notice what it says there in verse 6. See, let's do a little test. See, think about where you've heard these words. Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. Where have you heard that before? Don't you hear that every Sunday night, every Sunday, often? In some form or fashion, you hear the ironic benediction. Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. That is the counsel to the discouraged. Let's think about the benediction. David is saying to these discouraged men, behind this dark providence, God is back there smiling. You know, we were on the way to church and Selah said, Do you see all those little rays of sun coming through all that dark, those dark clouds? And I looked out there and there was... They were just shooting everywhere. Well, this is completely black. This is really not good. This is a bad providence. But David's saying, hey guys, the sun is out. It's back there. Sometimes the answer that you and I need when we're going through a dark providence is simple as the words of the benediction. Can any of us forget? If we had time, I would turn us there. Look at Eli. Eli's there, the Shiloh temple, and there's Hannah. She's crying her eyes out. Remember how she's praying and moving her mouth, but no words are coming out. And he speaks the benediction to her, and she gets up. And she goes and eats, and she's no longer down. It was just the words of the benediction. Many people will be ecstatic and glad when circumstances are positive. We will all be happy when the sun is in our face, the wind is at our backs, our clocks are going clockwise. We all love that. When our bank account is right, he says here, when their grain and wine abound. Everything's good when their grain and wine abound. But what about when the grain and wine does not abound? What about when we don't win and when we're sick? And what about when we're running from our son all day long? <laughs> Who's slandering us and bringing other men against us? Well, David says, don't be discouraged. Remember that God's behind this darkness. David is counseling himself. He's counseling these despondent ones. And he's counseling you and he's counseling me. To remember that if we know that God is behind all the darkness, it's better 
than when the best grain and the best grape harvest happens. We can feel flattened by a dark providence. And most people will go into a tailspin. But tonight, I give you these wise words. Whether your eyes are open or your eyes are closed, contemplate the Lord's shining face behind the dark clouds. Let the light of His countenance fill your heart with gladness that only He can give and no one can take away. Psalm 4, evening prayer, verse 8. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to sing favorites, to be called into worship, to read Scripture, to pray to you, and to come tonight to read the Word of God together and hear it preached. Father, we praise you and thank you for teaching us a morning prayer and teaching us a prayer as we go to sleep tonight. And Father, as we go to, go to our, our pillow, our heads, Lord, we pray as we get ready for another day that we might be reminded always that knowing the light of your presence in your face, knowing the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus is all we need. Strengthen us for this next week ahead. Strengthen us, Lord, to be encouraged. Lord, help us to be those who put our hands over our mouths when we think about our righteous indignation. And Father, help us always to be remembering always that we are justified by our faith in Jesus Christ and that we can come to you and pray with all of our hearts based upon that truth. Take us away now, we pray, in safety. We ask for a good week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.